Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, we, are, we are back. Sid is here. We're, uh, we're in the process of calling a, a guest. In the meantime, uh, Mike had a chance to catch up with a player that... Well, he was cut earlier in the year, and Mike, I think a lot of people would be a little bit surprised. Yeah. He's actually, and uh, let me just add one thing. Yeah. As you'll hear in this year, he's a different person since he's been cut and come back. The humility of what Laquan Treadwell was his first two years compared to now is completely different. I'm intrigued. Let's listen in. Laquan, watching you guys against Detroit in this year, 6-0 and at home, what does home field feel like? What's it meant to this team? And uh, you know, can, can you explain that, or is that just, uh, does that just come with having a good team? Um, it's kind of both, you know, um, obviously a good team helps you win a lot of games on the road and at home, but, um, being at home, you know, that home field advantage, um, it's a familiar place to play, you know, um, kind of get to get the crowd involved, you know, every big player is probably twice as big when you make it at home. Um, and, uh, you know, probably you just get that extra time to prepare, you know, don't have to travel as much, don't have to do as much. Um, and just get to continue to prepare and get ready for Sunday. When when you, uh, obviously, you played here, you came back. How is it different when you come back, you know what you know and what you've been through? Um, it's just about perseverance. You know, every guy, you know, been through it. Um, just another guy in the league that's going through it right now. And um, I just stay focused on the moment, you know. Um, you know, obviously I left and came back, but it just kind of gave me a new perspective, you know. It was just day at a time, take it a day at a time, make the most of every opportunity, and uh now I've been putting my effort and energy towards that. When you watch uh, Kirk Cousins, it just looks like he's systematic about whoever's open gets the ball. He doesn't even see who yeah. it is, etc. Explain that because uh, he targeted what, 11, 12 guys yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean, he works it all, all week in practice. You know, he goes out to practice and he throws to the younger guys just in case they, they their name is called. So he gets real familiar with every guy on the team. And, um, you know, we just do a good job of being in the right spot, understanding the concepts and what the coaches want. And um, being versatile, being able to play all positions, you know, our coaches, uh, you know, to really take pride in, like, making us learn every position on the field, you know, outside of the tight end and the running back position. But every receiver, you know, got to be able to play all four spots. So um, we all can do that, and that's what's really helping us, you know, be effective. Is he, are you the most comfortable you've been since you've been in the NFL in terms of system? And yeah, yeah, I am. As a whole, as a player. Laquan Treadwell, like I said. You know, one thing, Dave, and, and Sid, as we bring Sid into the conversation. Sid, Dave. Uh, Kirk Cousins has, uh, one of the things that you hear about him when people assess him is uh, he doesn't see people as much as he sees open jerseys. He's pretty systematic about the way, if you get open, uh, he's going to find you. And there's a lot of guys that have gotten, uh, you know, from C.J. Ham to Laquan Treadwell to B.Z. Johnson that, maybe didn't know what their role was going to be that have had a chance to catch balls and gain some confidence here by December. You know, like, that's interesting because we had, what, we, Vikings had, like, 11 or 12 different receivers. Yeah, 11 targets yeah, or something like I that. I mean, that, that's incredible. But that actually makes sense in light of what you just said. If he's got that quick peripheral vision to spot an open receiver, it's less important who it is than the fact that he knows he can slip the ball in there. 
Sydney, how are Sid? How are you feeling about the Vikings? When you look at the Vikings today, you probably covered them out in L.A. a few times. Uh, how do you feel about their chances today? I think they should win. I think uh, with Thielen back makes a, a big difference. I think that uh, the Chargers are no great team, and uh, I think they should win. Uh, how about the Sid? How about the Bears and Packers today? That's a very important game for Viking fans. How do you see the Bear-Packer game? Well, I think the Packers will win. I think they're very good. I think they'll win. Uh, They're on a roll. Uh, The Packers are. I think uh, they'll win. Boy, we're looking at the TV picture. Well, the old kid really, with us at Kansas City is going to get some snow today, huh? Well, it is really snowing in Kansas mm-hmm. City. That could be an interesting game. You know, the Viking defense is, uh, has pretty much been in folks. Uh, Mike, you had a chance to catch up with uh, one of the guys who's uh, starting to play a key role. Yeah, Anthony Harris is, you know, and, and he had to, uh, he played well, and then they brought back Sandeo, who used to start in front of him. Got a nice interception the last yeah, game. Yeah, he's got a couple of picks, but Harris has been, he had the one pick six against Seattle, but he's he's kind of quietly become uh, a key cog there when they were, when he was out a couple weeks, they really missed him. We had a chance to visit. Anthony, it was a workmanlike win against Detroit, and then you turn the page and move on when you're in the playoff hunt. How does it feel around here in December? You've, you've been in the hunt, and last year you guys weren't so much in the hunt. What's it feel like when you get here and you're playing for big stakes in the week? Uh, I mean, anytime we can get to go out and, you know, play some football is good. Um, you know, right now guys seem to be playing together, um, having a lot of fun, flying around, so that's important. Um, when you can go out and do that, um, use that translation to wins, you know, going out, executing, having fun, um, and putting together a formula to get some wins. What's the study, you know, you're talking about good quarterbacks, of course, you just saw Russell Wilson, and now you're going to see another one in L.A. with uh, Rivers and then Rogers and on and on we go. What's the film study like for a safety when you're preparing for a really good quarterback like that? Um, first of all, you, you really just want to get on the offensive scheme, um, you know, know what they want to do offensively, who they are, what's the identity. And then you can start getting into the final details on, you know, who's on the center, um, some of their mechanics, um, try to get a feel for the timing, uh, when the ball is coming out in certain situations, who they like to target and things like that. Um, that's that's kind of some deeper details you can really get into later on. You see a guy like Rivers that's a veteran like that, they try to control the game, obviously. So is it is it more sophisticated? Is it what? Because they're constantly disguising, they're constantly doing what to you or trying to. They've seen a lot of football. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they you got, go fool them? Yeah, yeah you know, it's going to be hard to fool those guys. Um, you know, they're here for a reason. Um, usually they have big arms. But a lot of those guys, they've seen a lot of defenses. So... They know the coverages. They know where they want to go with the ball, um, and they do a good job of doing that. So you have to try to, you know, make those windows tight, disguise them and confuse them if you can. Um, but mostly just playing with good technique and putting yourself in the position to make those plays when they're, when they're there. Is your secondary playing this one? I mean, uh, you know, the, the communication, the things, the nuances, all the things that you guys like to do? Yeah, we're trying to just pick that up as an as a overall unit. Um, everybody's communicating from the back end to the guys at the second level. Um, just being on the same page pre-snap, communicating what routes and stuff we might get, um, and knowing where our help is to help each other out to be successful. What is that like with you and Harrison? Then, what, what, I mean, what do you? There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of what? Um, we don't have to do too much talking. Yeah. We usually kind of looking see, or not. We kind of see. We kind of see the things pretty similar. Um, so during the week, we we look at the film, and individually, he might bring up something that I kind of looked at, and we kind of talk about it. Um, but on the field, it's just you know a feel, playing off of each other. Um, communicating when we need to on the sideline, pre-snap, 
sometimes in the huddle and then just going to play fast. All right, uh, Anthony Harris uh, become a, a key player. Uh, you know, they they got a lot of interchangeable pieces, Mike. Uh, well, they've got a real rotation going on in the defense. I'll tell you, the scary part is when Mike Zimmer starts talking about Daniel Hunter hasn't reached his peak yet. <laughs> he's watched 50 sacks before 25, all yeah. those statistics that you throw at him, and he is as humble as they come, Daniel Hunter. And uh, uh, when, when Zimmer starts talking about there's still a couple more things that he can do, I mean, he's got 10 years. <laughs> that kid's going to make a lot of money before this thing's all done. You know, one team we haven't talked about is sport. We haven't talked about, well, we talked hockey when we talked about Wooger, but uh, we haven't talked about the Wild. Very Somewhat quietly, the Wild has yeah. really picked things up and yeah. moved up in standings. I think they're like one point out of uh, eighth place uh, when I checked yesterday. May still be the same. Uh, and when it comes to talking hockey, Brian Lawton is always fun to talk to, and he's standing by to talk to us oh, in about three, four minutes. So why don't we take a break here and bring in, change the topic uh, to hockey and bring in Brian Lawton right after this. You're listening to the Sports Huddle with Sid, Dave, and Mike. Welcome back, Sports Huddle. Mike Max, Dave Bona, Sid Hartman. Taking you through it, Thad Levine will join us a bit later. Janelle McCarville will join us right now. The man that really knows hockey in the NHL because he's so well-versed in all of the teams, Brian Lawton. And lost before we start with the NHL, uh, you guys in the hockey community are pretty close, and we lost Doug Woog, someone that you knew very well. Yeah, it was really, you know, it's a tough deal for me. That's kind of the era that I grew up with when, obviously, Wooger was coaching at the U, but uh, I first met him, believe it or not, back in a Canada Cup in like 1984. He was one of the assistant coaches. <laughs> of course, Phil was on that team, and uh, you know that was kind of the, the beginning of quite an incredible run for Wooger, and uh, he's just going to be sorely missed. I know Ben Hankinson and Chris McElhine would go on for hours about Wooger stories, and uh, I really got a chance to meet him and spend a lot more time with him, even when uh had one of my kids going to his camps up at Breezy Point. He was just a real, real nice man, and it's, it's a big loss for the hockey community. Do you think uh, the Wild might make some moves uh, to improve their team? I do, Sid. I, I think they're looking at it. I think Billy Guerin has been very forthright. He's evaluating. Um you know, I'd imagine from their management team's perspective, you know, they would have looked at last year what happened and, and wanted to see what the direction was this year. We've seen them be absolutely horrible to start the season under an incredibly difficult schedule. And now we've seen them be tremendous to the point where I do think the management team will be looking at ways to improve this team because they recognize what a team like St. Louis did last year. And you guys have heard me talk about it in the past. St. Louis Blues really haven't been any better than the Minnesota Wild over the last three years. Anybody can win the Stanley Cup. You know, Brian, it's just so weird to look at the standings in the paper. Uh, I think my eyes have been trained over the last four decades or more to look for the name of Chicago near the top of the standings in the Central Division. There they are in the bottom. Can you talk about the year that they're having? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they've tried a lot of things. They've had a lot of uh, activity. I don't know if I'd say it's productivity. You know, they just can't get it going. They still have two star players, not unlike the Wild. Their guys are a little bit younger, but they're making quite a bit more, $10.5 million for Taves and Kane, of course. And then you got other veteran players that are left over from their incredible run when they won three Stanley Cups. And that, of course, is a guy like Brent Seabrook. Duncan Keith, and then uh, Corey Crawford. So, 
it's a transition phase for them right now, but they've been out of the playoffs way too long for them to be comfortable. So they're trying to do everything they can. They just have not found the right combination of coach and players. You know, Brian, uh, yeah, obviously, like Dave said, the wild play on the night, wild one last night, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But Devin Dubnik, we're not quite sure his situation, how it will all play out, and you just wish the best for him uh, throughout. As a manager, how do you manage through this situation? Do you just say, Alex, I want you to think of yourself as the number one goalie for the rest of the year? How do you do it? You know, these ones are really touchy, Mike, and the one thing I love about the NHL is it's much more – uh, in tune as the world is with what's going on with these types of things. I knew a lot of players that would, you know, guys would keep playing through some of this stuff. It's incredible. Back when I was playing, I, I saw some crazy things. This is the way it should be. What does that mean? It means you got to have patience with Devin um, in terms of Alex Daylock and Capo for that matter. Uh, you know, those guys have done a, done a pretty darn nice job filling in while Dubnik's been gone. I do think because of the circumstances, he'll absolutely get an opportunity when he comes back to earn that number one starters position. And, um, you know, I look at a situation like when Marc-Andre Fleury was hurt and Matt Murray came in and, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury never really regained that number one position. Eventually was moved to Vegas and Matt Murray's been the starter. So, you know, I've seen it every which way. Uh, personally, I, I hope for and wish for the best for Devin and his family. He's an incredible guy. Uh, my firm used to represent him when I was an agent. They still do to this day, Mike Lute and Octagon. And, uh, you know, it's just been a tough, tough situation that happens. But I do like the way the Wilds handle it. They have been nothing but first class towards him. How's Sutton playing? Is he healthy? Are you playing well? I think he means Ryan Suter. Uh, Ryan Suter is playing as well as ever. Uh, his game is tremendous. He just doesn't get beat out there. I watched him very closely the other night. And uh, there's just a lot to like in his game. You know, is he going to necessarily lead you to the Stanley Cup by himself at this stage in his career? No but he's still an incredibly valuable piece for that team. He's still a leader on the decor back there. And uh, I think he's stepped up a notch, quite frankly, since Jared Spurgeon has been out, and that's a great sign. But uh, Ryan is one of these guys that's just freakishly strong. If you watch him out there, he just doesn't really get moved off of pucks and things. He's just, uh, you know, he's an incredible player. He's had incredible longevity. I'm sure now for Ryan, the only thing left is to prove that he's a championship player. And that hasn't happened for him yet in terms of a Stanley Cup. But uh, whenever you talk to him, that that's the, the focus has turned to that for him in his career. You know, you're talking uh, the wild defense uh, about Suter, but the defense in general, I saw some of that game last night, and I, I just couldn't believe the, the relatively long periods in which they like, didn't see a single shot. So I looked at stats this morning, 18 shots on goal, only one of which went in. Somebody on defense is playing awfully well. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, you have to point to Carson Soucy first. He's the, the, the former University of Minnesota Duluth product has been uh, awesome. He's been a really nice, feel-good story for the Minnesota Wild. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably been one of their bigger surprises. There's some other guys they expect a lot out of. Joel Erickson, X-Men good. Greenway's making progress. 
Donato's finding his game now. But there wasn't really a big expectation for Susie, and he's just been tremendous. And particularly with the injury to Spurgeon, uh, he's just getting more and more opportunity. But you need that if you want to do anything surprising in terms of your team. You need players to step up. He's been a really great story. Yeah, you mentioned Donato. When you interview him, he comes across as a kid that's gaining his confidence. You can see it before your eyes when you visit with him, that he's a, you know, different now than when he got here last year in, in the rigors of the NHL. Brian, how long do you do you watch a player before you decide either they can make it? or they, I know this is there's not a magic one answer, but how, how long do you watch? How many games do they have to have before you say, okay, this guy's going to be here for a while? Yeah, I always think for the defenseman, you've got to give them at least a couple of hundred games, which is incredible at the NHL level before you even know what they can be. For forwards, I find that it's quicker. You know, if you can, but but the the thing you need to be careful of is you can't, I think you can do it in 100 to 120 games, but you have to be careful that the 100 to 120 games, they aren't players that are in the wrong position for what they do. Ryan Donato has been a little bit of a victim that, early on here where uh, he's just not a guy that's going to impact the game very much in a fourth line role. He's not, uh, he wouldn't be considered a stout checker. His analytic numbers are not super strong in terms of away from the puck. He's a guy that you've got to get into a meaningful role and see if he can score because he's scored everywhere he's been. But if he's not scoring, he's a guy that you very easily can miss on. And I think the wild have done a nice job of, of being patient uh, nothing was happening earlier in the year. Ryan Donato was a guy that, you know, really would have been considered uh, not doing much, but I don't necessarily think he was in a role to do much. Now that he is, he is delivering, and, and he's been a nice story. But as I said earlier, a lot of expectation for him, Greenway, Eck. This is the next wave of guys. These are the guys that they need to replace the Niederreiters and the Coils and the Grandlins. And you know what? They've shown a ton, particularly the last uh, 30 days, Five weeks. How would you describe the wild coach? What is he different than most coaches? Well, Bruce is the oldest coach in the National Hockey League right now. I'm sure he'd love me saying that, but he's also one of the nicest guys in the National Hockey League. And uh, I think he's proven that he's a pretty darn good coach. The, the start couldn't have been any worse. They find out the most about people when things go wrong and get really ugly. And it was pretty ugly for the while. Um, I'm sure Bruce was at the breaking point a few times. He certainly bent, but he never broke. And he's hung in there and he's stuck to his guns. And he's got this team playing great now. And I think that's a testament to him. A lot of people entering the season figured that Bruce would just be a guy that came in and we might as well let him coach his last year. Then we'll figure out from there. Uh, I think the thinking has probably changed a bit on Bruce because of the job that he's been able to do. Uh, last year, there was a lot of rumors of dissension, players unhappy with the coaching staff, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, we saw it reach a crescendo, and Jason Zucker said, you know, everybody's got to be better, including the coach. That raised a lot of eyebrows. You don't hear that from players. Uh, you know, they might talk about the group and other teammates, very rarely do you hear a player talk about a coach needing to be better. Um, but, boy, it's really gone well from that point forward. Uh, you cannot deny how well they've played. Uh, you cannot deny how quiet it's gotten around the coaching staff, and those are good things. 
You know, Brian, uh, we watch through a fairly narrow lens of, you know, being here in the Twin Cities and Minnesota. You've got a broader view. What is the feeling toward the wild around the league? Uh, It's more of a macro view, Dave, in terms of what's going on in the National Hockey League. You know, teams, there's very few super teams. I think there's, you know, there's four groups that have probably separated themselves from everybody else thus far. That would be Washington, Boston, Colorado, and St. Louis, or another team is right on the cusp. After that, and this is what you have to understand, particularly if you're a fan or even more importantly, if you're a manager, the next, I don't know, 15 to 20 teams are very, very close. Anybody can beat anyone on any night. The Wild are in that grouping, and they were at the very bottom of that grouping when things went wrong, and now they're, they're much closer to the top. This is kind of what I said to Craig Leopold when I met with him about the general manager's position back in August. Um, that's just the way the league is. It's tighter than ever, and that's why you're seeing all these teams, not just the Wild, look at all the other clubs that have had incredible streaks and you know, then they've turned it around to be great. Dallas, uh, San Jose, it cost their coach his job. Buffalo, up and down. We could go on and on and on. That's just a byproduct of the fact that there is a much bigger group of teams battling to be, you know, a Stanley Cup contender. And uh, I watch it play out probably a little more than most of the average fans here in Minnesota because I am in tune with every team in the National Hockey League. Uh, But it's been really fascinating and interesting to watch. Uh, The Wild, uh, as I said, you know, they they should feel really good about where they're at right now with what they've been through and what lies ahead of them in terms of the schedule. Uh, They're a team that's that's much closer than, than people probably certainly would have thought six weeks ago. And I think more than even people think now. So it's it's an exciting time for the Wild. Brian, we, we do appreciate so much the chance that we get to talk to you and having that perspective. You know, when you talk about the bubble, to hear the number 15 to 20 is a staggering number, a huge percentage of the league, but that should make the next two months or so so interesting to watch as teams juggle for position. I think Sid wants to wrap things up. Sid? Brian, Lawton, always a pleasure having you on the show. And for being on the show, we'll get you uh, a murder certificate, the best shake in town. All right, Sid. Well, I appreciate that. But, Sid, we can never do a show without you asking me how Noel Ron is. <laughs> I'm laughing about that same thought, saying, did we make it? <laughs> you want to give him an update? Noel. He put he took his headset off. I'm going to have to pass it on, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> you guys pass it on. Of course, Noel Ron, my father-in-law. Yep. And uh, we gotta always we gotta always get that in there. Sid usually does. The first interview in history with you, in which uh, Noel's name did not come up. (laughs) Thanks so much. Happy if we don't talk to you. Happy holidays. Yeah, thank you. Amen. It's Brian Brian Lawton. All right, we'll be back right after this. We'll give you a little preview. Uh, uh, we'll uh, be talking to uh, Thad Levine a little bit later in this hour, then Janelle McCarville at 11.05. So that's what lies ahead. We're off at 11.30 today to make room for the Bears-Packer game. You're listening to the Sports Huddle with Sid, Dave, and Mike. All right, let's talk baseball, more specifically Twins baseball. Always a lot of interest this time of year. The winter meetings are over. Some of the free agents have signed. Other free agents are available. The Twins are rumored to be in no fewer than four or five 
rounds of discussions with various uh, players, not all of them pitchers, some position players. Who better to talk to us about that than Thad Levine? And Sid, Thad Levine joins us right now. Well, last year you did a lot of things after the baseball meeting. Is there a good chance you might do the same thing this year? First of all, thanks for having me on, guys. And I'd say yes. You know, the each off season has a little bit of a different narrative and cadence to it. It seems as if this one's moving a little bit faster than the last two had. But two years ago uh, at the winter meetings, we saw a run on relief pitchers. This year, we kind of saw a run on starting pitchers. So not too different from two years ago. We're still in conversations with a lot of agents as well as a lot of teams. One thing we haven't really seen heat up Yet this offseason is the trade market. We also haven't really seen the position players heat up too much. And this is not uncommon that the first wave of players signed in the offseason are catchers and starting pitchers. That's what's happened so far this offseason. But we're keeping our finger on the, the pulse of those two markets as well as, as well as the markets for the position players and the trades. That Dave St. Peter joined us at Dunkers this week in response to a somewhat similar question. I think the the audience was somewhat intrigued with his answer because I think they're all focused has probably been on starting pitching, maybe a little less so relief <laughs> pitching. And he teased a little bit and said, you know, we are looking at a variety of options that could include virtually every one of our infield positions. Now, clearly they're not all going to happen, but he said you need to understand it's just not starting pitching. It's making the team better, and in doing so, we're, there are a lot of different moving pieces on the table. Could, could you comment on that? Well, I, I think generally speaking, not to oversimplify things, but the game is about preventing runs and creating runs. And I think most of our fans are looking at our team as are the national writers and saying they need to work a little bit more on the pitching side, on the preventing run side. But the reality is you can win in a variety of ways in this game. And we were a very formidable offensive club last year with mm-hmm. really solid pitching. I think if we could add to a strength to help augment of our team we're going to look at those options and one of the things that i think rocco has really stressed since he's come over here is just the versatility on defense and what that allows us to do is really almost to pursue any type of position player that could be out there because all three of our starting outfielders can play all three starting outfield positions um, our second baseman and Arias can play second base shortstop in the outfield we know polanco can play shortstop and he came up in the minor leagues and played a lot of second base. Sano can play third base and first base. So we have versatility all over our, our starting lineup. That allows for if we had the right opportunistic chance to strike on a position player that we genuinely believe could could strengthen what was a really, really strong offense last year, we can we can go ahead and do that and just maneuver our existing group around a little bit and not sacrifice anybody's plate appearances. Could Sano wind up being the first baseman? You know, Sid, it was, it, it, it's a consideration. He he has played first base in the past in the major leagues. Uh, he always rises to occasion. I think he does a, a nice job over there. Uh, we, we like the fact that he still can play at third base. I think the fans get to see one of his showcase tools is his arm. Uh, he's got a hand cannon attached to his shoulder over there and really makes some spectacular plays, does an extremely nice job on balls in front of him coming in on the ball. So we've always wanted to keep him over there, maintain his versatility, but if we found the right partner over there, I think he could slide to first base. No different than, you know, some of those other guys, as I just mentioned, can maneuver around the field as well. And I think the more versatile the, the defensive player in today's game, the more valuable he is. It used to be that utility players, guys that could play multiple defensive positions, we looked at, as, at something lesser than an everyday player. 
I think in today's game, we're, we've learned to value those guys to an extreme case. Uh, when we got Marlon Gonzalez last year, I think that really opened our eyes to the impact a player could have by playing multiple positions on the field. You know, Thad, uh, this time of year, there's so much emphasis on guys who are not on your team. I mean, they're going to make a play for Donaldson and Bumgarner. The, the names everybody's familiar with. But sometimes it's to the exclusion of guys who are on your team. And the statistics show, with, without question, you're a better team when Buxton is on the field. Can you give us an update on, on Buxton, his health right now, and what your expectations are for the coming year? I, I think the best news for our fans is Buxton is on plan. He's on target. And the reason he had surgery and missed the last portion of the season last year was for the express purpose of being full go when we got to spring training. And he is tracking to be just that. He's working tirelessly. He's got a, we, we've hooked him up with a personal physical therapist and trainer close to his home in Baxley, Georgia. And he's been working diligently. We've been checking in with him periodically. We'll get another opportunity to do that in person here on Twins Fest coming up. Uh, but everything is pointing to the fact that Byron will be full go with no restrictions, uh, ideally for the early part of spring training. And that is fabulous news. As you just mentioned, you know, it's hard to know exactly what to make of these types of statistics, but just the, the statistics play out. Uh, when he has been on the field, our team has just simply won a higher percentage of games. We're looking forward to having a full Byron Buxton back for 2020. Will you spend the money, big money, for a top pitcher? Like Yankees, friend? Well, you know, I think the, the the Yankees, you know, we saw Garrett Cole. Well, actually, we saw we saw Strasburg set a record uh, for the deal that he signed with the Washington Nationals to go back and continue playing there. Cole then just a day later broke that record. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's another player on the market that will command uh, those that level of salaries, those two guys are you know exceptional talents and, and pretty much generational free agents to be seen on the market. There are a number of pitchers still out on the market. We're still in conversations uh, with quite a few of their agents. And, and the other element, which, as I mentioned earlier, really has not started taking shape yet, we're also talking to some clubs about possible trades. So we're aware of the fact that we, we would ideally like to add to our strength of starting pitching. Uh, we're going to be patient. There are a lot of options out there, and, and we may see at some point soon uh, that we all may start shifting a little bit more to the trade market away from the free agent market. That has not come yet because there's still a lot of quality free agents out there. You know, Thad, a year ago when we were having similar conversations, you guys made news with something we didn't see coming, and that was the signing of a couple of key players, Kepler and Polanco. Uh, do you have ongoing discussions with members of your team right now? Uh, because obviously it's not, uh, not all the help is going to come from the outside. You're going to be uh, extending contracts, doing new contracts with some of the key members of this team. And Dave, the, the, the central goal there is when you bring a, a player to the major leagues, you control him for the first six years of his career. And we are aspirational of controlling these guys for longer, especially the ones that we think have a genuine ability to impact our chances of playing in playoff games and winning those playoff games. So we are constantly evaluating our stable of players, not just looking externally. And so I think that there will be a time in the offseason where we do shift our attention to having some of those conversations. Right now, we're trying to fill a few of the holes that are existing on the club. Uh, but once we do that uh, and put that kind of in a stable situation, we will turn our attention to that because we do admire a lot of the young players we have here. And we are aspirational of having them here more than just the six years we otherwise would control them so that our fans can watch these guys play through the majority of their careers. When do you start arbitration doing uh, arbitration? So 
It's a, it's a great question, Sid. We, we actually have a lot of our players are in arbitration. So the first three years of a player's career uh, is called pre-arbitration, and the, and the negotiation is a little bit more unilateral where the team has a little bit more control over the, the, the salary of the players. The next three years is a time where those negotiations become bilateral, and it's much it's much more even footing for the agent and for the club. And we have a number of our players who are in arbitration. A lot of the, the big names that our fans have become used to cheering for it's 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 Burrios and Taylor Rogers and Duffy and May uh, to go with Sano Rosario and uh, Buxton to name a few uh, Adrian that we already got done uh, so there's there's a lot of players we have in arbitration our, our internal group I think does a great job maintaining relationships with agents so that we can get amicable deals done that process is going to start heating up here probably the first week in January we have our exchange date where we have to exchange salary figures with the union at that time. Typically, deals get done within somewhere around 48 to, to 96 hours of, of, that, of that date. So I would expect you're going to see a lot of our players signing probably the first week in January, and our group is currently working very diligently on that. Well, sitting here in mid-December, all of a sudden, that's not too far away. Thad, there, there are a number of, of changes coming in baseball. I think one of the more intriguing ones is the addition of a 26th man to the roster. Clearly, you and, and Rocco and, and Derek talk about this all the time. How do you see the Twins using that 26th player? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating right now, Dave, because we have our, our 12-man position player unit is so versatile that I think we could be highly specialized in this role if we so desire. I think the... The, the most attractive thing is probably to add yet another versatile defensive player, somebody who could play all over the field to give Rocco just that another weapon. It will be a 13th position player. We're, we're capped at carrying 13 pitchers. So I think we, like most teams, will carry 13 pitchers most likely. And then we'll carry a 13th position player. And so we've got a lot of candidates for that, guys who came up and, and really contributed last year, whether that's Jake Cave, Williams, Astadio, Lamont Wade, are three kind of guys who saw some real major league time last year. But we also have this wave of younger players coming up through the minor leagues, guys who maybe finished the season at double A or matriculated at triple A who will be in consideration guys, guys like Brent Rooker and, and Nick Gordon who finished the year uh, on the DL Luke Rayleigh as well, who we just added to the, to the roster this off season. All three of those guys probably would have finished the year in the big leagues had they been healthy. So We've got a, a great internal group of players that we can draw from for that 26 man, depending on what the, the team needs at a given time. You may see us rotate through a, a number of those names throughout the course of the year. What about uh, surgeries? Have a lot of paper had surgeries and recovered from them after the season? So, you know, the, the one player that we are monitoring very closely, Sid, right now is Jorge Polanco. He had surgery on his ankle. Uh, he had some scar tissue removed from, from his ankle, something that had been kind of nagging him throughout the course of the season, which makes it even that much more remarkable what he was able to accomplish last year, considering some of the limitations he really had uh, physically. But right now he's tracking well. Uh, we're going to continue to monitor, monitor him. Uh, Twin Sus is such a great time. Uh, middle of the off season for us to really lay hands on everybody, but with our our new athletic trainer, head athletic trainer Michael Salazar, he's been in very close contact with Jorge Polanco to make sure that his rehab program is going as we had hoped. He, Jorge has been committed and he's spent a lot of time in Fort Myers working with our strength and conditioning group down there, as well as our medical staff. 
So I think we're optimistic about Hori, but certainly something we're going to track as the, the offseason unfolds. I've got a couple of friends who follow the Arizona Fall League fairly closely, and they were really intrigued with the play of Lewis this year, who wound up being the MVP in the league. They're questioning me, and I said, well, the next time we have either Thad or Derek on, I'm going to ask them, where do you pencil, maybe nobody uses pencils anymore, where do you put him in as a position? Because he clearly moved around a fair amount and showed some real outfield skills in, in Arizona. Well, you know, Royce Lewis is is you know one of our, our top-level prospects, and we still view him as a chance everyday impact shortstop but what we saw in the fall league that that dave's referencing here is that he went out and played center field uh quite a bit down there and did extremely well did so well that he was named the mvp of the league uh which is really quite something because there's a lot of talent in that league a lot of young and up and coming uh, future big leaguers who are playing in that league and he really stood a shoulder head and shoulders above that group this year so one thing that maybe our fans don't know is that uh, through most of his his high school career, he actually did play center field. They had a very formidable uh, shortstop on that team, and it wasn't really until later in his high school career that he got a chance to move in and play everyday shortstop. So I think what we learned about Royce is this is a baseball player. This this kid can go anywhere on the field. Having the ability to play shortstop in center field at the major league level puts him in pretty rarefied air, uh, and, and we're excited about his future. Where he ultimately lands – will be up to him. I think we're looking him looking at him first and foremost as a shortstop, but one who has the versatility to play two of the most demanding and impactful defensive positions on the field at a well above average level, which is tremendous for this franchise for the future. Are you not going to sign Castro the catcher? So that was that was a really tough decision for us. We we were uh, in contact with, with Jason Castro and his agent, I think we think he had a, a real meaningful impact on this franchise for the three years when he was here. Really helped us transform our, our game planning and our advanced scouting uh, was basically exactly what we had hoped he would be, which was a pitching coach on the field. Uh, we ended up signing Alex Avila. We're very excited about his addition to the team. Uh, he has a ton of experience catching in the American League Central, primarily with the Detroit Tigers, secondarily with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he brings a left-handed bat like Jason to complement uh, Mitch Garver. And I think in, in Alex, we're also, uh, from all the research we've done, he's had a real impact on young catchers in the game. Uh, we've got uh, not that Mitch is that young, but he's still up and coming from a defensive standpoint. And then one of our better prospects on the horizon, we feel, is a catching prospect who may get a chance to spend some time around Alex and Mitch in spring training at least. And so uh, we're, we're very excited to be adding Alex to this team and very appreciative, certainly, of everything that Jason did for this franchise for three years. Dad, we've got less than a minute to go. I'm, I want to ask a quick question, then Sid will wrap things up, and we, we appreciate so much your spending this amount of time with us. At the end of the year, we saw Dobnak, we saw Thorpe, we saw Smelzer. If, if all things settle out the way they would, would you be comfortable with one of them as your fifth starter? Hundred percent. I think I think that's actually our goal, Dave. I think that that's our strategic plan. If things happen differently, so be it. But I think our hope is that those guys will compete in spring training. Somebody will get the nod opening day to be our fifth starter on our on our team. But we may see that group rotate through like they did last year and really supplement the strength of our team, which could be our starting rotation. Sid, talk about the rookies. No, no, we're out of time. Pat Levine, a pleasure to have you on the air, and. Uh... We'll get your murder certificate, the best take in town. Thank you. And, Dad, thanks for spending a little extra time with us. It's, it's so much fun talking Twins baseball with you. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. 
Well, thank you guys very much for having me on, and happy holidays to everybody. Okay, that's Dan Levine. We'll be back at 11.05, and Janelle McCarville will be our guest at that time. In case you don't know, they're raising her banner today. Should be fun. Stick around. Sports Huddle, Sid, Dave, and Mike. All right, we're back, and how much fun is this? Big day at Williams Arena this afternoon. We'll be on our way over there right after the show to take part in it. Uh, Janelle McCarville is going to get her banner raised uh, at Williams Arena. Well-deserved. Uh, she and Lindsey Whalen really put go for women's basketball on the map, and uh, well-deserved recognition. We're fortunate to uh, grab her for just a few minutes now. Janelle, congratulations on a well-deserved recognition. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. I got. I just want to tell our listeners, we don't usually refer them away from this show, but sometime in the course of the day, they want to go to Google. I may have the name wrong, but I think it's McCarville Picks, and it is one of the best, maybe a minute and a half videos watching. And, you know, people remember you for your game in yeah. you know, so many different ways, but the, the picks are are great, and they're all captured in one compilation on there. Mike, I think you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, we were just talking about before, and. You didn't know you'd have such a shelf life after. Hey, what were you doing? By the way, what were you doing in Sweden? I play basketball. I play basketball in college. I know. Explain, because you, you came back for this, but you came back from overseas. Explain what's going on. So I play on a team in Stockholm. Um, I'm also coaching a 16-year-old girls team there. So I have double duty. And my last game was Friday night. I woke up Saturday morning, headed to the airport immediately, caught a flight, almost missed my connection, ran through the airport, made my connection, got in last night, went to dinner with Waylon. Here I am today, ready to uh, head to Williams. You almost had to fight through a couple picks at the airport, they tell me. Yeah, they saw me coming, though. They moved. They, they moved <laughs> to get off the tracks when the train was coming through. <laughs> Smart people. Sid's got a question for you, Janelle. What's your occupation now? What do you spend your time doing? That would be Sweden right. and the yeah. coaching, yeah. Is that, yep. is that right a full-time? Now, I'm, yeah. I'm in Sweden. Yes, I coach, uh, uh, like I said, a U16 girls team. I also help teach at a basketball high school, and I spend my evenings playing with the women's team. So I got three three part-time jobs over there for the most part. A couple of things. First of all, I read in the paper that what Bolton and Schoenrock are going to be there today. It'll be like reunion of that team. That's going to be so much fun. But I wanted to... I don't know if you if this came up with with Lindsay, but she had a great story last year, and you maybe know this, but they were in a tight game, and I think the Gophers had the ball with 2.1 seconds to go at the far end of the court. And Lamke, their big center from Wisconsin, like you, uh, they call a timeout, and, she, and, and Borton or uh, Whalen says, "All right." Uh, Bell, you got the best arm on the team. You're going to throw the ball to Lamke at midcourt. She's going to set a big screen. You're going to take off. You're going to go by her as fast as you can. She's going to give you the ball, and you're going to lay it in with a tenth of a second on the clock. And she said, does everybody understand? She turned to Lamke and said, do you understand what I mean with a big screen? She said, do you want me to set him a carvel? Nice. Nice. <laughs> now that's, talk that's about. How you know you made it when they refer to you setting the screens. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's going to be so much. Fun. I think that crowd is going to react so well today because a lot of people for a long time saying if anybody deserves to be up on that wall, it, it's you. And uh, and then how much fun you're going to be doing it in the presence of so many of of your teammates. It's awesome. I mean, getting the band back together like that. I know a lot of people are coming in. I'm excited to see them. I haven't seen them in quite some time, so. For everybody to be here, you know, they were a big, a big reason for my success at the U, and I'm, I'm glad I get to share it with them again today. It'll be fun. Sid's got another question. Sid? What is a, how has basketball changed from the time you played to what it is now? Um, you know, I think everybody's 
well, in this case, they're younger, they're faster, and they're stronger. Um, you know, it's more up-tempo, a lot of penetration, drive and kick, find open players, maybe not as much set offenses from what I've seen. Uh, but for the most part, you know, their kids are getting up and down. They have more ability, better handles, and uh, more one-on-one situations in my mind. Do you and Lindsay talk coaching philosophies like last night now that you're both in the profession? Every now and again we do, yes. we. Uh, last night was less business and more fun and reminiscing. Uh, but when I've been in Stockholm and stuff, we have conversated a few times about different offenses and different sets to run and, you know, uh, coach talk basically, yeah. So... You know, Janelle, I had a chance. I help her a little bit, I think. Go ahead. I had a chance to talk to Cheryl Reed, and your name came up, and I said, you know, you had a chance uh, to work with McCarville. What, you know, what are your thoughts? And she said, passing. She said, there, there are so many things people. So she had so many good things in her game, but she said, I don't think people recognized enough what a great passer she was and her ability to spot somebody open and get the ball. She said, there were times and again when I thought nobody else could have made that play like McCarville did. That's nice praise. Mm-hmm. It is good praise, and I do appreciate that, and it's very true. I take a lot of pride in my passing. You know, I feel uh, a lot of people can always want to shoot the ball. You know, a lot of people go for rebounds, but not everybody can pass and get other people involved in the game, and I do feel like that is one of my strongest suits as a player, um, you know, in in order to have a successful team, create for uh, a lot of people in different situations and you know, I love I love throwing fancy passes. I love making other people look good at the same time. So it's, you know, a win-win situation for me. Do you think it's difficult to teach post players to pass because either they have that in them or they don't? Because it seems like, you know, for some it's a black hole once they get the ball and you're not going to see it again. For others, there's an awareness. Can you teach awareness like that? You, I do believe you can teach awareness. It just might take a little while. Um, I've always been uh, an unselfish player, pass-first type of player that coaches have had to tell me I need to shoot more. Um, so in my mind, you know, it's, it's an easy aspect of basketball. Some people, you know, nowadays everybody's all about stats. And if you're not putting up numbers, you're not going to, you know, perform and you're going to not be in the starting lineup. But there's roles that everybody needs to play on teams. And I think that's one thing kids these days have gotten away from is understanding that there's roles to be played and everybody has a spot and to play your role to the best. And mine was being assertive, a point post uh, in that aspect. And yes, everything is teachable as long as the, the, the student wants to learn. You know, we promised we'd keep you only seven or eight minutes, and our time is up. I just want to congratulate you again. It's a, a great achievement getting your name up, uh, your picture up on, on the wall. And I'm sure the University of Minnesota has worked hard to pre- you know, prepare some highlight video to go with your uh, induction, the pregame ceremony today. And it would be a real shame if they don't have a couple of your picks on there. But for our listeners who are savvy enough to go to the Internet, I think it may be McCarville Picks. Google it, and you will be rewarded with some Classic, classic yes. moments. There's yeah, some, there's some some headbangers out there for sure. <laughs> Speaking of which, I want a little action on that Viking Packer game next week because I know you're going to be rooting for. Oh, ouch! Well, it definitely ain't the purple and gold, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Janelle, congratulations! Look forward to seeing you this afternoon. All right, appreciate it, guys. All right, that's Janelle McCarville. Back with more right after this. Sports Huddle, Sid, Dave, and Mike. All right, we are back. Just a reminder, we're off in about 10 minutes today because of that pregame uh, coming up. The station is carrying the uh, Bears-Packer game, and the pregame starts at 1130. Uh, one of the key players for the Vikings, once again nominated for their community service uh, top award uh, given uh, in the National Football League. It seems like every year Kyle Rudolph gets that because he just seen his wife do so much in the community. Sid had a chance to catch up. Let's listen in. I mean, Sid, thanks. Hey, you stay right there. I got you. Okay. 
You play Ramirez Mar- Smith at uh, Notre Dame. Yep. He had another great game last week. Are you ever surprised how well he, he does? No. Uh, I mean, Harrison's such a great player, and like you said, we've played together for a long time. Um, he just He's a guy who can, at the safety position, play every level. Uh, he plays the run. He plays the pass. He can blitz the quarterback. So just so versatile back there. He gives our defense a lot of options. What is so long, playing so long with a player in college and now here? Yeah, we, like you said, we've played together um, since 2008. We've played together every year except for one, and that was my rookie year here. So uh, we played together for three years in college, and now we've been together for eight years here. So uh, over the course of 11 out of the last 12 years, we've been together. What did Notre Dame ever do for playing for playing you in the NFL? Uh, Notre Dame definitely prepared us to play in the NFL. I think um, when you play on a national stage week in and week out, playing against a lot of the best teams in the country, uh, it, it allows you to be prepared when you make the jump to the next level. Is this team focused on trying to win the division? Yeah, that's the, you know that's our first goal uh, at the beginning of every year is, is winning a division title. When you win a division title, you get a home playoff game, and um, you know we, we feel like. Uh, we put ourselves in a position to have meaningful games in December, and it starts that, this week with uh, the Chargers in Los Angeles. Talk about playing the passing game without Caleb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, and we've had a lot of young receivers that have had to step up. Um, we've had tight ends that had to step up. Tyler Conklin's a guy that's, uh, you know, didn't have a catch until a couple weeks ago, and, and now he's making big plays for us in the pass game as well. That change your offense when somebody feeling goes out? You know, it doesn't really change the offense. Uh, the big thing is, you know, guys have to, to step up. You know, when you lose a player of the caliber of Adams, uh, you know, we have to pick up the slack uh, elsewhere on offense. How much does it hurt Diggs with Thielen Oh, you know, I don't think it hurts Stefan at all. Uh, I think it gives Stefan opportunities. And then, like I said, we have other guys that can make plays to take the pressure off Stefan. How do you make some of the sketches you make? One hand? Practice. Uh, you know, you don't just make one handed catches by accident. It's something that you practice. Uh, always catching balls, whether it's during practice, after practice, before practice. Uh, so when it comes in the game, it's something that you've done a lot of times. How about your relationship? with cousin does that get better every week yeah i think he's uh gaining a trust in me that uh even though there may be people around maybe traffic that he can still throw the ball to me and i'll make a play anybody help you as a player on the team i mean there's always people helping me as a player and um i think that's one of the best things about this team is uh we have so many guys that are willing to help one another get better Talk about Herbert Smith. How do how are these coming along? He's a good player. Uh, he's a young football player, but he's a guy who, who works hard and tries to know his assignment on every play. You're now fifth all-time in reception. How important is that to you? Uh, that just means I've been here for a long time. Um, it's, it's cool to be up there with those names. There's a lot of Vikings legends on that list, um, but I just try to do what I can to help our team win games. Talk about your blocking in the new offense. 
Yeah, uh, something that I've done a lot this year. I've done a lot more than I've done in the past. Uh, it's something that I've taken pride in this year and something that I've had to work on. Have you learned a lot from Gary Kubiak to see what kind of a coaching is he giving you? Yeah, he's, he's a great coach that's had a lot of success. He's won a few Super Bowls in this league, and um, anytime you add a coach of that caliber, um, a system that's been proven in this league, uh, you just try to learn as much as you can from him. You've had a lot of offensive line coaches in your career. What does Rick Dennison give you? Uh, he, he, another guy that's been in this system for a long time. And uh, I mean, you look at all the running backs that have played for Rico and uh, the success that they've had uh, speaks volumes for him and his run game ability. Are you glad you signed your contract? Yeah, we love it here. Uh, we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. What do you expect from the Chargers on Sunday? I expect a really good football team. You know, their record is not indicative of of the talent. They have a lot of talent on that team. They've been stricken by injuries, uh, but they got a lot of guys back healthy, and uh, they've lost a lot of close games. So they're you know they're they're playing hard, and uh, we expect a four quarter game on Sunday. What do you expect from the Chargers on Sunday? A uh, four quarter game. Uh, they're pretty good. At Rivers, a pretty good quarterback. Phillip is a great quarterback, future Hall of Famer. How about playing the Packers and Bears at home end of the season? It's, it's great. You know, you have the opportunity to, to play two division games at home to end the year, and uh, that will allow us to control our own destiny. Talk about your big part of the red zone. Uh, well, the red zone is an area that I feel like it can help this football team, and, you know, when I get opportunities down there, I try to score touchdowns. Is this the most balanced run-pass offense you've played with, with the Vikings? Uh, it's, it's it's close. You know, in 17, when Pat Shermer was calling plays, we were top 10 in rushing and passing. Uh, so, you know, since 2017, uh, it's it's right up there with that year. How do you take care of your body? A lot of work, uh, a lot of time in the cold tub, a lot of ice. Uh, we also have a great training staff here and a great strength staff that keeps me in good shape. Have you seen Kirk Cousin go as a leader? Yeah, I think Kirk is a guy that came in here right away and um, led by example. Uh, he's a guy that um, other guys on this team will naturally follow. And, uh, you know, his play speaks for itself. He, he's played great football this year. How do you prepare the younger players for a play at push? Oh, well, I think the biggest thing in, in the young guys is, you know, they're used to being off or practicing for a bowl game. Uh, once Thanksgiving hits, their season's normally done. And, you know, after Thanksgiving, we still have a quarter of our season left and the playoffs. So uh, just trying to remind them that there's a lot of football left. What do you want to do after playing football? Well, hopefully I still play football for, for a long time. Uh, so I haven't figured that out yet. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, uh, time for predictions. We've got about a minute to go here. Uh, Sid, I'll start with you. Two games today. Who's going to win the Packer-Bears game? I think the Packers will win for sure. That Green Bay. Yeah, they're the favorites. Except the only way they got a chance at quarterback for Trubisky. for the Bears has been going crazy yeah. lately. I think the Vikings will definitely win, even though they're only a two-point favorite. One-point favorite. Uh, Mike, two games. Um, so, Sid, you're saying the Packers, but the Bears might win. Uh, I'm going to go Bears Whoa. on a roll and Vikings by two touchdowns. 
Vikings by two touchdowns. Yep. All right, you're out on a limb. All right, I'm with uh, in the uncomfortable position being with Sid on this one. I'm going to go with the, the Packers. I also see the Vikings win. I appreciate Rivers. I appreciate they may be underrated. I just think the Vikings are a better football team I do too. than San Diego, and I think their, their defense will come through for them. I want to thank our guest today. This is that, that odd, shortened show, Richard Patino, Mike Gensel with some great Doug Woog stories, um, uh, Brian Lawton, Thad Levine, uh, Janelle McCarville, and then a couple of Vikings on tape. Uh, we uh, appreciate a couple of people tried to call in. We didn't have time. Try to call us next week. Got a long show next week. We look forward to talking to you. Always look forward to talking to you. We'll be back here, at, I think, 9 o'clock next week. Sports Hall, Sid, Dave, and Mike. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com.